to lose your belief in me. Because the title of our message this morning is How Not to Be Tempted with Unbelief. And so if you are tempted to lose your belief in me because of the color of my iPad cover, this 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 is for you. Praise the Lord. But you know what? Every one of us, whether we realize it or not, every one of us is tempted with unbelief. As long as we still draw breath, the enemy will try to deceive us. He'll try to convince us that the word of God isn't true. You know, there's some, there's some very basic principles in the scripture that we need to get a hold of. And one of those basic scriptures or principles is that the enemy wants to bring unbelief into our life. And he does it very subtly. But he wants to bring unbelief into our life so that we, we doubt what God has said concerning his word. You know, one of the prime examples that we have of it in Scripture is, is Abraham. And how, because of the circumstances around him, and God had told him in his word that he was going to be a father of, of many nations. But you know what? Everything in the natural was to the contrary of that. You ever been in that place in your life where, you know, you're believing God for something, you know that it's yours, you know that it belongs to you, but everything around you is to the contrary. It tells you just the opposite of that. That's where Abraham was. But you know what? It says that he chose to believe the promises of God over the circumstances in his life. And because he chose to believe the promise over the circumstance, the promise came true. You know, the problem is, and this is where unbelief tries to creep in again, Oftentimes, we don't see it immediately. You know, I, I remember hearing Jerry Seville teach on this one time, and somebody asked him, how long is it going to take? And he says, well, probably just a little bit longer than you think it should. And that's how it usually works in our life. But Eric Jerry Seville also said this. He says, one thing about God, he's never early, well, let me rephrase that. He's seldom early, but he's never late. Well, it's too late. No, it's not. If you're still drawing breath, it's not too late. And so the unbelief wants to come against you and tell you that there's absolutely no hope. But there is hope because we're in Jesus. And so <clears throat> let's begin with a scripture out of Romans, the fourth chapter. You know, our thought life is extremely important. You know, one of the things that I've noticed over the years is that mentally we become very weak. We, we, we no longer just leave that. That's the second time. Third time is a charm. It's going in the garbage. So... <clears throat> But, you know, the, the thing about it is, what, what was I saying? Oh, we're, we're mentally very weak. <laughs> you know, I, I believe in living by example. <laughs> Teaching by example. But we are. You know, we don't, we don't control our thoughts. It just, boom, and, it, and it's gone, and we don't control our thoughts. And, 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 and part of the reason for that is we allow everything to think for us. You know, I remember growing up when you would watch the news, and they would tell you what the news was so that you could think for yourself. But now, I don't care what news it is. I don't care if it's local news or if it's national news or if it's your favorite channel or the channel you hate. I'll guarantee you something. They're not telling you the news. They're commentating. They're telling you what to think about the news or about the event that's taking place. You know what? You can't even watch a football game without having the commentator tell you what you think about the play. 
It used to be, I, I remember in, when you used to listen to it on the radio when the Vikings would play because, you know, well, there was a reason for that. And the twins. And, but Hal Scott was their announcer. And he would listen to him. And if there wasn't anything going on to the, on the field, he didn't say anything. He was quiet. And then a moment there was something that took place, he would tell you what took place and you could determine for yourself. Now, we have to have three individuals in the booth and three on the field. Because you can't have a quiet moment. And you're not able to watch a holding penalty without understanding that that was a holding penalty. Especially if you're from Iowa. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. Don't shout me down just because I'm preaching good now. <clears throat> but, it, but, it, but it's the truth. We have to have somebody tell us everything. And so we no longer think for ourselves. We no longer read a book. We have it on tape. On whatever the plugins. I know nobody has tapes anymore. Why? Because we would have to concentrate too much if we read a book. We don't read our Bible. We have our Bible audible or whatever. Why? Because we'd have to concentrate too much if we sat down and read it for ourselves. Let me tell you, you need to concentrate and read it for yourself. We need to develop our minds so that we are, have strength in our mind. Because temptation is going to come our way. Unbelief is going to come our way. And if we're not strong in our minds, we're never going to be able to resist it. It tells us in Proverbs 3, 7, sorry, Bella, that I got it out of order, but they'll be able to figure it out. But it says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. As a man thinks in his heart. How do we think in our heart? That's what determines what we are in life. And so what we think is extremely important. Abraham was strong-minded because he didn't allow the circumstances to dictate to him what was taking place. And so in Romans, the fourth chapter, I'm going to begin in the 18th verse, 18th and 19th verse. And it says, But contrary to hope, in hope, believed, so that he became the father of many nations, According to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith. Let me tell you something. If we're weak-minded, we will be weak in faith. If we don't control our thoughts, we will be weak in faith. If we don't tell ourselves what we're going to think and what we're going to believe, we'll be weak in faith. And what do we tell ourselves? We tell ourselves according to the word of God. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his body already dead since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not consider it. What does that mean? He didn't dwell upon that. He didn't meditate on that. He didn't think on that. He didn't consider it. Now, I'm sure he didn't go around saying, I'm not 100 years old. I'm not 100 years old. I'm not 100 years old. The dude was 100 years old. And he didn't go around declaring, Sarah's womb's not dead. Sarah's womb's not dead. Sarah's womb's not dead. It's dead. But he had a promise. And so what he focused on was the promise. The promise was, so shall your descendants be. And so he believed God. And we see also that because he believed God, it was reckoned or it was considered unto him as being righteous. You know, you can go all the way back to the book of Genesis and you look at Adam and Eve. You know what? <clears throat> Adam and Eve roamed around that Garden of Eden and we don't have one single account of them being tempted until they focused upon the one thing that God told them they weren't supposed to do. He said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the middle of the garden because the day that you eat thereof, you're going to die. And so what did they do? They began to focus upon that garden in the middle of the 
that, that tree in the middle of the garden. And what happened? It, it drew them away from the truth of, of everything else that God had provided for them. And that's what unbelief, that's what temptation will do it in our lives. You know, everything can be wonderful. Everything can be hunky-dory. But there can be one area. And we're drawn to that one area. And we focus all of our attention on that one area. And you know what? That one area makes our entire life miserable. Why? Because we focus there. We meditate there. We concentrate on that area. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And so if we allow ourselves to begin to think upon something that's, that's negative, something that's hopeless, that one thing will begin to dominate our entire life. But you know what? We've got to be able to put it aside and begin to concentrate on the things of God. You know, NFL Sunday. Get started today. People say, no, it started Thursday. Those games didn't count. Starts today. But you know what? You can learn something by, by watching a quarterback. Because a quarterback, when he makes a mistake, he has to put it aside and move on. If he focuses all of his attention upon that mistake, you'll see that it'll affect his entire game. You know, the, the finals of the U.S. Open are today. And you see that with diff different tennis players. Some of them, they make an error or they get a bad call. And what do they do? They blow up. They throw their racket. They lose control. You know what? Their whole game is messed up at that point. But then you know what? You see others. They have control of their emotions. And how do they control their emotions? By controlling what they think. That doesn't mean that they, they don't complain when there's a bad call, but then they walk away from it. And that bad call doesn't continue to dominate and control their entire life, their entire game. But you know what? Many of us, that's what's happened in our everyday life. We allow a mistake or we allow something that, that happened to us that should have never happened to us. But we allow it to begin to dominate our life. And it dictates where we go from here. Rather than putting it behind us and recognize it, I'm going to move forward. I'm going to allow God to move in my life in a mighty way. You know, one of many, but one of my favorite scriptures, especially in the Old Testament, is Joshua 1.8. And it says, this book of the law, so it's talking about the word of God. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. But you shall meditate in it day and night. What do we focus on? We focus on the Word of God. That's where our focus lies. In the Word of God. And it says that we're to meditate in it day and night. That, why? So that you may do according to what is written therein. Let me tell you something. If you don't meditate on the Word, you won't do it. Because everything else that goes on around you will distract you from it. But it says that we're to meditate on the Word of God day and night so that we might, might do what, was, what is written therein for then. When? After we've meditated on the Word of God day and night so that we can do what the Word of God says, it says, for then you shall make your way prosperous and you shall have good success. Glory to God. Not just success, it says you're going to have good success. And your way is going to be prosperous. You know, oftentimes what we're doing is we're waiting for God to do something. And he's already done it. He's already, already provided us with everything that we need to succeed. You say, well, I don't believe in that meditation stuff. Well, I'll guarantee you something. You practice it. Worry is negative meditation. It's meditating on the negative. It's meditating on the hopelessness. It's meditating on, on those things that are contrary to the Word of God. And every one of us, 
Whether we want to admit it or not, we're meditating on something. We're thinking on something. But you know what? We have the power within ourselves to determine what is it that I'm going to think on? What is it that I'm going to meditate on? What is it that I'm going to give preeminence in my life? What is it that's going to dominate my life to direct my path? To give me the direction that I'm going to go? In Psalms 1, 2, and 3, it says, But his delight, but his delight, is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he shall meditate day and night. Of course, that's all they had back then. But we have the Bible. And so in the same way that the psalmist says, he delighted in the law day and night, we ought to be delighting in the word of God day and night. Well, how do I do that, Pastor Dave? I can't, I can't have that in front of my, my face all the time. You can meditate on it. You can think on it. Something happens in your life and you can see how it relates to the scripture and you begin to meditate how it doesn't look very promising. But you know what? Through God's word, I can do all things. Greater is he that's in me, that's in the world. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth its fruit in its season, whose leaves shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. You know, it's in, in, interesting. In, in a lot of churches, they have a problem with that word, that doctrine, that term, prosperity. But you know what? God doesn't have a problem with it. In fact, he says that if we will meditate in his word, if we'll give him his proper place in our lives, we're going to prosper. You know, one of the things that I love about the, the scripture in Joshua, where it talks about having good success, that's talking about every single area of our life. Prosperity isn't just money in the bank. Prosperity touches every single area of our lives. We're to prosper socially, economically, spiritually, emotionally. Every area of our life, socially, every area of our life, we are to have good success. And we experience that when we give the Word of God its proper place in our life. That's what Abraham did. Abraham believed God. Every one of the circumstances around him was contrary. You know, we look at our lives so oftentimes and we see how, how can that ever happen? That's exactly what came against Abraham. I know that God said that, but. So we wrestle with the buts. I know the Bible says that, but. I know that's the truth, but. I know that's how it's supposed to be, but. But what? But look at my life. Look at the circumstances around me. What am I supposed to do in these conditions? Believe God. That's what Abraham did. And that's what you and I need to do. Psalms 118, 17. You know, what, what do we do when it looks like Or being attacked and our health is deteriorating. Well, we declare what Psalms 118, 17 says, You shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. No, 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 no. I'm not going to die. I'm going to live and declare the works of the Lord. I'm going to declare the glory of the Lord. But what are we here for? We're not here to take up spare space. We're here to declare... The glory of the Lord. And we don't just simply do that with words. We do that with our actions. First one, I, I know hundreds of people have shared, said this, but first one I ever heard say this was my son, Jeff. As he was closing after he preached in our church one Sunday, he says, now go out and preach the gospel everywhere you go. But use words only if you have to. 
Our life is to be a living testimony. We're to demonstrate the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ through the life that we live. That's why it's so important that these truths be real to us. That we think on, that we meditate on these words. Because they bring life. In Romans 8, 37 it says, Yet in all these things, when the attacks come, yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. More than conquerors. Not just simply conquerors. We're more than conquerors. Jesus has done it all. You know, where do we get conquered? When we begin to look to and depend upon ourselves. But when we look to Jesus, we're not just conquerors, we're more than conquerors because he's done it all. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The problem is oftentimes we don't realize we have the strength. Because we look at self and we come up with little terms like, I just can't take it anymore. I just can't do it anymore. Why is it and when is it that we come to that place? Because we've looked to self and we've looked to the circumstances. We look at what's going on around us rather than focus, focusing our attention upon Jesus, upon the Word of God. Because he empowers us. He enables us. 2 Timothy 3, 12, it says, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Well, you know, I tried it. It just doesn't work for me. Yes, it does. The very fact that things are coming against you is a demonstration that it's working. Well, we sure didn't want to hear that one, did we? Well, Pastor, it just seems like everything is going wrong in my life. I must be doing something wrong. Well, maybe you're doing something right, and that's why the attack is coming against your life. And so rather than begin to look at the attack, refocus your attention upon the promises of God's Word. Because chances are, he wants to accomplish something in your life. And so we look to him. Ephesians 5.19 at these times is so important. It says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual song, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns. You know, it's interesting. I, I guess you can make a song of it. You know, you might get a country western tune out of it. Oh, everything in my life is falling apart. What am I going to do? It's going to hell in a handbasket. I guess that's a I guess that's a song. Come on. Yeah, uh -huh, I thought so. Now it's talking about psalms and hymns, talking about singing to the Lord with our heart. But you know what? We we sing a tune to one another. It has nothing to do with Jesus. It has everything to do with every issue that we're dealing with in our life. And then we wonder, why am I so depressed? Why do I feel so low? Could it, could it be because of what I'm focusing on? Because what comes out of my mouth is a pretty good indication of what I've been focusing on, of what I've been meditating on, of what I've been giving preeminence in my life. Because when we begin to do that, when, when we hear those words and we begin to entertain those words, those words begin to accomplish what the enemy wants them to accomplish in my, our lives, which is unbelief. Because that's where he wants to take us. He wants to take us to that place to where we no longer have our confidence and trust in him. In Matthew 17, individual comes to Jesus, and in the 14th verse, it says, And when they had come 
to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeled down to him, and the hymn here is Jesus saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. And Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon. And it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very moment. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? And Jesus said to him, Jesus is so subtle. You know, you have to really try to read into it and figure out what he's, what he's trying to say. But what does he say? He says, um, and said to them, because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you had faith as a mustard seed, you would say to this mountain, what's the mountain he's talking about? He's talking about sickness. He's talking about this epilepsy. He said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and it shall not, and it shall happen. It shall not be impossible to you. However, here's the kicker. However, this kind does not come out except by prayer and fasting. So I remember in the early days when someone would call me up and they'd have somebody in their household that they believed had a demon. And so they wanted us to come and cast it out. And so we'd call a fast. And because it says prayer and fasting. And so then we'd go and some of you are looking at me like, don't know if I want to eat out of that pan or not. But we cast out devils. That's what we're to do. Amen. Today. And so we would, we would spend some time in prayer and fasting before we'd go and sometimes get results, sometimes we wouldn't because of this verse. But you know what this verse is really telling us? That this kind comes out by prayer and fasting. Do you realize that Jesus prayed and fasted? That Jesus went off by himself to pray and when he did, he he, we don't have any account of him taking food with him. But what is, what is the fasting all about? It's putting the, it's putting the flesh under. Amen. It's telling the flesh, you don't have your way. And so what he's talking about is if we want to deal with this kind of thing, we have to have confidence in the word of God that he means exactly what he means. And let me tell you something, in order to get to this place, that means that we're going to have to spend some time alone with God, with the Holy Spirit, meditating upon the word of God. And when the flesh wants to tell us to go do something else, we say no, because I'm going to spend time in the presence of God. You ever realize if you can't sleep at night, just start praying in the Holy Ghost. Poof, you're out like a light. But you know what? If you want to finish what you began, you can't give flesh its place. Sit down and you start to pray and all of a sudden your stomach growls and I guess I need a snack. No, you need to tell your stomach to shut up because you got some business to attend to. And so what he's saying the problem with the disciples were, and this is what we oftentimes do, ooh, this isn't going to go over well. Yeah, I'm going to say it. 
We oftentimes just want to lean on what Jesus accomplished for us. Well, he did it all. Amen? But you know what? He also assigned something to us. And what he assigned to us is that we would give the word of God its proper place. That we would meditate on the word day and night. That there were certain parts of our life that we were to yield, that we were to submit to him. Let me tell you something. Grace never replaced holiness. It was grace that empowered you and I to live a holy life. And so through prayer and fasting is how we accomplish that. Hallelujah. You love me? Okay, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thought I was going to have to eat all by myself when I got home. Praise the Lord. She still loves me. Y'all love me? You know, I can't help it if it's the truth. I mean, I'm just, I'm just trying to be like Jesus this morning and not be too subtle. Unbelief. What keeps us from receiving what Jesus has provided for each and every one of us? We can have all kinds of excuses, but it boils down to one, unbelief. And so what we need to do is we need to set aside that unbelief. We have another account in Mark, the ninth chapter, the 17th verse. Then the... One of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you down, I brought my son who has a mute spirit. And wherever it seizes him, it throws him down, he foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out. But they could not. He answered them. Jesus answered them and said, Here again, the subtlety of Jesus. You faithless generation. You know, I, I, don't, I don't think this was a real mushy message. Oh, you faithless generation. I don't, I don't think that was the tone there. I think the tone was, you faithless generation. Why would Jesus speak to them that way? Because they've been following him around for three and a half years. He's been imparting into their life everything that they would need to live a victorious life. Why would Jesus ever be impatient with you and I? Well, for me, he's been putting up with me for 45 years. And after 45 years, he expects that there be some results in my life. That faith be something other than a theory. That faith be something other than a topic. That faith be something that I practice in my life because of what I know through Jesus. And so he says, O faithless generation, how, shall, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. And then they brought him to, uh, brought him, to him. When he saw him immediately, the spirit convulsed him and he fell to the ground and wallowed and foamed at the mouth. I'm sure that's what happened every time they brought him before his disciples. And I'll tell you what the disciples thought. They thought, oh, that's big. I don't know if I have enough faith for that. You know what? You have enough faith for that. Never forget when Pastor Becky and I were in the Philippines. And we went out with Jimmy and we took the bus as far as it could go and then we're walking through the rice paddies. We come to this little burial and, and we come to this little Nipa hut and we're, we're, we're standing there. You know, we're, we're novice to all this. This is other than 
having gone to Jamaica, this is our first time. Uh, I guess I'd gone to the Ukraine too, but this is the first time we've been there and, and we're standing there and uh, somebody comes in, they have this little, this little baby and uh, um, Jimmy's got the baby and he says, uh, this baby, was it a year old or a couple of years old? I don't remember how old it was, but it should have been walking and so forth, but it was just, just little. And he takes that baby and he hands it to Pastor Becky and I and says, here, uh, pray for this baby. Well, I'm going, whoa. You know, because, and after, after all, our babies all have diapers on them when we get them to begin with. And it's naked and its little belly is swelled up and and they begin to talk and they said, you know, whatever the age was, by this time the baby should have been walking, but it hadn't taken a walk. It's unable to sit up. It's unable to do anything. And he hands us this baby and he says, pray for it. And so we, we took that baby and we laid our hands on it. And in our head, my head anyway, I don't know what was going through Pastor Becky's, you know, my head is going, woo. I don't know if I can handle this. This is, this is big. The unbelief is trying to come against me. But what do we do? We, we declare what the Word of God says about that baby. And we, we believe and we pray for it. And we give the baby back. We don't see any change, anything else. We're getting ready to leave to come back to the States. And Pastor Fortz comes over and she says, You remember that baby that you prayed for up in the mountains? And how could you ever forget it? She said, that baby took his first steps today. That's the God we serve. Now, <clears throat> I wish I could claim that I had such magnificent faith. But basically what my faith was dealing with was putting down the unbelief that was coming against me. And that's all that I had to do because Jesus had already done the work. All that I had to do was stay in agreement with him, with his word, with the expectation. And that's how it is in your life and in my life. And I can just imagine what the disciples saw because it's so easy to, to be critical of them. How could they not believe they'd just been roaming around with Jesus for three and a half years? But remember, they were not yet born again. They were not yet baptized in the Holy Ghost as you and I. And so we have so much of a head start advantage to what they had. And so, he answered and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. And they, when they brought him, and when he saw him immediately, the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming at the mouth. So he asked the father, how long has he, this happened to him? And the father said, from childhood, and often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, there you see the father's heart. If you can do anything, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Think about that. All things are possible to us if we'll but believe. And immediately the Father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Do you realize every one of us, we go through this where we believe, but you know that, that unbelief is, is coming against us and, and that's where we cry out to God, Lord, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. Don't allow this unbelief to overtake me. And so we, what do we do? We focus on the Word. We focus on the completed works of Jesus. That's where our attention lies. And Jesus saw the people 
came running together and he rebuked the spirit saying to it, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him. And immediately it was gone. But you know, this is, this is a struggle that we, we wrestle with. We're believers. Amen. I'm a believer. But that doesn't mean that that unbelief doesn't ever try to come against me. But the key is that we don't give it any place. You know, I remember hearing the testimony, and you probably have too, of T.O. Osborne, how one of the greatest missionaries that have ever walked on the face of the earth probably preached to more people than any other individual. He preached in more nations than any other individual. And T.L. and his wife Daisy had gone to the mission field and he's out on the mission field and he holds up his Bible and he says, you need Jesus. This is the Bible. It's the Word of God. And all the people in the crowd held up their Korans and they said, no, this is the Word of God. And he says, no, this is the Word of God. And they said back, no, this is the Word of God. And he came home defeated. And he heard about the power of the Holy Spirit and he got baptized in the Holy Spirit and went to a healing meeting and saw people being healed. He says, this is what we need. We need the power of God manifesting in our life. And T.L. went back to the very same place. And he stood up and he preached his message and he says, this is the word of God. And once again, they held up their Korans and they said, no, this is the word of God. And he says, I'll prove to you that this is the word of God. And he called for the sick to come forward and some individual, I believe he was blind, and everybody knew of him, came up and he said he's thinking in his own mind, why couldn't we have something a little simpler? Maybe something not quite so obvious. But the blind man came up and he prayed for him and the individual was healed. And the message of T.L. and Daisy Osborne is now history because they preached the gospel all over the world. T.L. made this statement one time. He said, Christianity without the supernatural is just another man's philosophy. The thing that distinguishes Christianity is not that we just accept a bunch of rules and regulations. We experience a life change. And he wants to flow through us with his power, with his might. He wants to touch the lives of those around us. Real quickly, unbelief can show up in three different ways. The first way is through ignorance. When we simply do not know the truth. Of course, that's the easiest unbelief to deal with because you can bring somebody the truth. The second type is disbelief, which is a refusal to accept what is true. We see that all the time. We see people that you can share the gospel with them and they refuse it. They choose not to believe it. You can take Christians and you can share with them what the scripture says about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Spirit, healing. You can share that with them, but they won't believe it. And oftentimes the disbelief is a direct result of being preached so much wrong doctrine. You know, when I first got born again, we wanted, to, we wanted to get rid of anything that resembled what used to be the church. Wanted to throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know, because of the doctrine and everything else. But I, I came to realize something. Doctrine is important. Doctrine is what stabilizes your life. Doctrine is what shows you direction. So there's nothing wrong with doctrine. There's just something wrong with bad doctrine. Yeah. 
And what we need to do is replace bad doctrine with good doctrine. Well, how do you get good doctrine? What does the Word say? It's not about what you feel, what you think, what somebody's told you. It's what the Word says. That's what our doctrine is to be established and based upon. And the third is natural input that is contrary to the world. word, the circumstances around us. All of those things, what do they want to do? They want to bring unbelief into our life. Why do they want to bring unbelief into our life? So that we have no hope. Hope is essential. But the enemy wants to steal hope from us. In 1 Timothy 1.13, Paul is speaking. He says, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Do you realize that before Paul, who is Saul, was introduced to Jesus as the Messiah, he was very religious. He was persecuting Christians because he believed it was the thing to do. He believed that it was God's will for him. Paul says, I did it out of unbelief. I was ignorant. I was ignorant to the truth. But you know what? Paul didn't remain ignorant. There may be some areas in our life where we've been ignorant. But you know what? We don't have to be ignorant still. You know, to recognize ignorance isn't a letdown, a, a put down. It's just simply acknowledging I didn't know the truth in this area. I went to church for 24 years of my life and lived in ignorance because I didn't know, I didn't acknowledge what Jesus had done for me. And so I spent the last bunch of years, 46 years I guess, getting rid of that ignorance. Because it doesn't just all poof, and it's gone. Every step of the way, when we see the truth in God's word, we choose the truth. Choose truth. Choose truth over circumstances. Choose truth over what others have to say. Choose truth over what you've heard in the past. Choose truth. What is truth? Thy word is truth. And you shall know the truth. And the truth that you know shall set you free. Truth sitting on the shelf does not set you free. Truth in the heart sets you free. His word is truth. Unbelief. What do I do with unbelief? Deal with it. Put it down. Resist it. Recognize where you've been ignorant. Recognize where you've chose wrong thinking. Recognize where you've allowed the circumstances around you to dictate. And when we put down unbelief, what are we left with? Belief. Faith, confidence in the completed works of Jesus. And then all those feelings and emotions, they fall into place. But it begins as we choose to put down unbelief and choose truth in Jesus' name.
So Father, I thank you this morning for truth. We choose truth. Those areas where we've allowed doubt and unbelief to dominate and control just because we can't figure it out, we choose to believe, to put your word first place. And so, Father, encourage each and every one of us to be those individuals that are able to speak to those mountains. And we see them cast into the sea. Why? Because we've taken control. We choose to believe. We look to Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith, rather than the circumstances. And in doing so, Father, we open the door so that we can give you the praise, the honor, the glory that you're so deserving of. In Jesus' name, amen. And so as you go, go in his peace, go in his strength, go in his love, go in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in the magnificent, marvelous, awesome, beautiful, everlasting name of Jesus. Amen. You know what? Just a moment. We've got Naomi here. We didn't get to pray for her before she went to college. So, I'll pray for her. Hi. Hi. Isn't she cute? <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, let's pray for her. Just extend your faith this way. Father, we just thank you for Naomi and yes. the many gifts and blessings that are in her life. And so, Father, we just pray that you would use her. We pray that you would strengthen her. Father, we just pray that this college experience for her would be a joy. And that, Father, you would direct every one of her steps. And so, Father, we speak a blessing over her. We, we declare that every one of her needs are met, physically, emotionally, spiritually, socially, every need. And so we thank you for her. And we call her blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I can go. <laughs>